Hello. Welcome again to the From God to Us podcast. I'm your host, James Seal. Today we begin a new series of messages called How We Got the Bible. It's a series where we'll be looking at the collection of books that we call the Bible and the accuracy of those books and how they've been transmitted to us. Before I go any further, I want to let you know that there are notes available for this series that you will want to to download and to look at. If you look on the the audio bar that you're listening to, there's a little I at the bottom, which stands for information. You can click on that and find a link to a Google Doc that you may download and print off. You may find this uh, helpful as you go through or Maybe you listen to the series and then go back and read the notes. Either way, I think these will be helpful for you as we go through. So each and every episode will have those notes available to you. The subject of how we got the Bible and the reliability of the Bible is very important because of the many negative attitudes toward the Bible today. Many people believe the Bible is just an out-of-date book written so long ago that just irrelevant to modern people today, particularly in the area of morality. Some people believe that some of the teachings of the Bible are just too strict for us today because we're more advanced people and the Bible just doesn't relate to us. And so many people cast it off for that reason. Many people believe the Bible has a lot of inaccuracies or filled with errors or doesn't have the complete message we need to hear. And this is a pretty common one today. Many people are attacking the authority and the reliability of the Scripture. An example of this is found in a Newsweek article titled, The Bible, So Misunderstood It's a Sin. I want to read a few of the quotes from this particular article that illustrate the idea that many people have toward the Bible. Here's the first one. They wave their Bibles at passers-by, screaming their condemnations of homosexuals. They fall on their knees, worshiping at the base of the granite monuments of the Ten Commandments while demanding prayer in school. They appeal to God to save America from the political opponents, mostly Democrats. They gather in football stadiums by the thousands to pray for the country's salvation. They are God's frauds, cafeteria Christians who pick and choose which Bible verses they heed with less care than they exercise in selecting the side of orders for lunch. They are joined by religious rationalizers, fundamentalists, who, unable to find scripture supporting their bias and beliefs, twist phrases and modify translations to prove they are honoring the Bible's words. Those are difficult words for us to read, those of us who believe the Bible is the truth and the word of God. Here's another quote from the same article. The Bible is not the book many Christian fundamentalists and political opportunists think it is, or more precisely what they want it to be. Their lack of knowledge about the Bible is well established. A Pew Research poll in 2010 found that evangelicals ranked only a smidgen higher than atheists in familiarity with the New Testament and Jesus' teaching. Quote, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it, wrote George Gallup, Jr. The Barna Group, a Christian polling firm, found in 2012 that evangelicals accepted the attitudes and beliefs of the Pharisees, religious leaders depicted throughout the New Testament as opposing Christ and his message, more than they accepted the teachings of Jesus. Again, pretty scathing attack against those who believe in the Bible. Unfortunately, to some degree, he is right in the fact that people don't know their Bibles very well. But again, the article goes on to continue attacking 
the reliability of the Bible, attacking Christians for their supposed lack of knowledge and the twisting of scriptures and so forth, basically denying the authority of the scriptures. And you, this is not an unusual article or an unusual belief. People all over are attacking the Bible and its reliability. Others have said the Bible is just uh, used as a tool to judge and criticize other people. What he pointed out in the article are very similar. And it's true today that many Christians is, have actually rejected much of the Bible's teachings because of statements like this. They pick and choose what they want to believe, things that are difficult to believe or they don't like, they throw out. And so the Bible becomes this book that we say we revere, or that we trust in, yet at the same time, Many people don't believe all of its teachings, partly because they don't believe that it has been reliably transmitted to us. So how do we respond to these type of objections? In the scriptures in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, we read these words. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter is just saying here that as we set apart Christ as Lord, we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, an answer for why we believe in the gospel, and an answer for why we believe in the Bible and the Word of God. This is the hope that we have that the Bible is true, it is accurate, and it is relevant for us today. But how can we give an answer to that if we're not prepared? And so well, this is what we hope to do in this course or in this, these series of messages is help you to find some information that will help you not only convince you, but to convince others. And another Bible verse we read in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, is Paul talks about those who were pastors and, and teachers and evangelists and apostles who were given to the church to train the body so that they will do the work of the ministry. He goes on in verse 14 and 15 and says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is, Christ. In other words, as the church grows and as we learn and as we understand, the goal is that as we become more and more unified, we have greater and greater understanding of the truth and the Word of God so that we're not led away by all these different teachings and that we're not led away by the deceitful scheming of people, but we grow up together in knowledge and in spiritual growth in Christ our Lord. These verses just tell us we need to be prepared. And the purpose for this series of messages is that to help us to understand where the Bible came from, to understand the objections, and to answer some of these objections by having biblical evidence as well as, as other evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is reliable. You see, we need to have confidence in the truth of the scriptures if we're going to read it and understand it. That is, we must have confidence that the teachings of the Bible are true and relevant for life today. And we must be willing to share its truth with others in a loving manner. But if we have questions about the reliability of the Bible, then we're not going to have that confidence. And so I hope that we'll be able to give you some of that confidence by the end of this series of messages. 
So the purpose of this series then is, number one, to increase confidence in the 66 books of the Bible as God's message to mankind. To increase confidence in the reliability of the Bible by giving an accurate history of the transmission and translation of the original biblical text. So we're going to look at that and how reliable are these biblical texts and, and then the translation of these texts into modern English. It's to help believers lovingly defend their belief in the Bible as the Word of God in light of the continual misrepresentations of the Bible. Again, so many things are being misrepresented, and we want to be able to share the truth about what the Bible is really teaching in a, in a loving manner, in a kind manner, in respect to people, but yet at the same time, give them the truth and the information to help them understand that the Bible truly is God's message. It's also to encourage believers to read and study their Bibles for themselves. If this is a message from God and God is speaking, then we need to pay attention to it. And finally, it's to help believers choose a good translation or translations for their own personal reading and study of the Bible. Here's basically what we'll be looking at. The first two lessons will deal with the authority of the Bible as we understand it. The next three lessons will deal with the canonization of the Old and New Testament, dealing with the books that are included and some of the books that have been excluded. Then the next three messages deal with the transmission and accuracy of the Old and New Testament texts. That's the Hebrew and Greek texts. And then we'll end with three messages on the translation process, the history of the translation of the English Bible, and then finally, choosing a translation for yourself. Before I get into what I call the authority of the Bible, which will be the first two messages in this series, I want to give you some reference books, and these are in the notes if you download them. Uh, four books that I think will help you add to your understanding regarding this issue of how we got the Bible. The first one is simply How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot from Baker Books. This is a very easy-to-read book. It has a lot of good information. It's not very technical. It's something that I believe anyone who wants to know more information about the reliability of the Bible can read. The next book I would recommend is, has a little bit more information, maybe a little more technical, but still very, very good, From God to Us, subtitled How We Got Our Bible by Norman Geisler and William Nix from Moody Press. Again, this is a very reliable book, good information. You'll find a lot of help in this book. Uh, a little bit more detailed than the first one. Uh, Questioning the Bible, 11 Major Challenges to the Bible's Authority by Jonathan Morrow, Moody Press. This one is not terribly in-depth, but it does give some answers to some questions that people are going to have and at least gives you a foundation for giving some kind of answers. And then probably the most in-depth or maybe more technical book that I will recommend is called The Canon of Scripture by F.F. F. Bruce, University Press. Again, a very good read, maybe a little bit more depth of information than some of you won't, but any of these books will be very good references for you to read to gain deeper understanding in the, the authority and the transmission and the reliability of the Bible. In the rest of this particular session and in the next session, I'm going to talk about our understanding of the authority of the Bible before we get into its transmission and reliability. But as we understand the authority of the Bible, this is what we'll be dealing with. And the first thing I want to talk about today is the issue of revelation. What do we mean by revelation? 
The word reveal literally means to draw back a veil so that something previous hidden can now be seen. Some of you may remember the old TV show called Let's Make a Deal and behind different curtains or behind different doors and the people in the audience would make a deal for what's behind there but not really knowing what is there and when the door was open and the curtain was pulled back they would find their prize. Sometimes it was something wonderful like a car or sometimes it was something very simple like a bicycle. But whatever it was, it was hidden until the curtain was opened. And this is the idea behind the word reveal. It means to to make something known either in the sense of a verbal disclosure or in the sense of a visual display. Thus, revelation is the act of revealing or that which has been revealed. If God exists, and we obviously believe that he does, he is greater than all of mankind. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is beyond anything on this earth. And if this is the way God exists, and we understand him to exist in this way, then he must reveal himself to us. We cannot just know God by thinking about him. An almighty, all-powerful, self-existent God who brought all things into creation has to reveal himself to us. All who believe in God believe in some kind of revelation. Any religion believes that somehow God has revealed himself to us. It's not just what we happen to think or what our opinions are about God. God has revealed himself to us. Through revelation, God reveals his nature, his character, and his purposes for mankind. This might be similar to trying to know and understand the President of the United States. He is in a position far above most of us, and most of us can never really know him. We might know a little bit through the media. But to really get to know the man and get to know the person behind the President of the United States, he must come to us, sit down, and reveal himself to us. He must open himself up in a very similar way. We cannot truly know God unless he reveals himself to us. So divine revelation is God's means of communicating his message to mankind. This revelation can be categorized in two types, general revelation and specific revelation, which we'll talk about next. So general revelation is this. In creation, in creating the universe, God has demonstrated his great power. In Romans 1.20, we read these words. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, in the creation, we can see the power and the nature of God, at least to some degree. The creation itself is a revelation of God's power and nature. It is incredible that intelligent men can look at creation and say there is no God. In Psalm 19, 1 through 4, we read these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You see, God has said in the creation itself, we can see something of the fact that there is a God. Now, today... Most people, maybe the majority of the people in the world, believe in some sort of evolution, some sort of long ages, because the evolutionary scientists have told us 
that they say that they have proved that the earth is billions of years old, that the earth has been around for a very long time, and that life has somehow evolved into higher beings over the course of time. The Bible presents a different perspective on that. But today, because many people choose to hear what the evolutionists say rather than looking at nature itself, looking at the things such as DNA and how DNA formed and and looking at genetics, we look at some sort of big picture and some sort of theory that says, you know, it all just happened. And people who believe this turn a blind eye to the creation that God has made and seeing the marvelous wonder of life itself and understanding that it couldn't just happen. Someone made it. Now, there's, we can go into a lot more detail on that, and that's not what this particular series of messages is about. But the point is, God has revealed himself in a general way through the creation. Another term we use sometimes in this general revelation is providence. And by providence, we mean God's divine power to control and order the events of history. A person can understand that there is a purpose to the circumstances of his or her life. Sometimes you'll hear people say, maybe they don't even believe in God, but they'll say, nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens without a reason or a purpose. Many people Even non-religious people know that there's something larger than themselves that is in charge of this universe. They may not understand it, but they understand that there are things that happen for a reason. This is what we call providence. So those are the aspects of general revelation, how God has revealed himself. But there's a lot about God that's not revealed in the details in general revelation. So we have special revelation which is broken down into two aspects, the nonverbal and the verbal. In the nonverbal revelation, what we're talking about here is this type of revelation does not involve specific words, though it is a specific revelation from God. It includes uh, personal appearances of God, uh, which we sometimes call a theophany, where God has appeared in some form or fashion in the past. It also includes personal revelation to individuals through dreams and visions. We may not see a lot of that today, but God can reveal himself to us in the dreams and visions, and we see that in Scripture. Categories of these, we see appearances of God. God himself has appeared to man in various forms. In the Old Testament, we read fire, smoke, lightning, in human form sometimes, are some of the ways that God has revealed himself to mankind at times. Jesus Christ, in John 14, 9, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus Christ was a a human embodiment of the invisible God. That is, if, if God were to have a human body, Jesus is what he would look like. Jesus was God in human form. And so that is a form of God revealing himself to us. Another nonverbal form, as we just mentioned, is dreams or visions or even miracles. At times, God has used these nonverbal forms of communication with mankind, and we read about these in the Bible. The Bible records many examples of dreams and visions from God. Jesus performed many miracles while he was on the earth. So these are just forms where God has revealed himself to us in ways that are not verbal forms, but mankind has been able to see and know and understand. And then we get to the, the verbal revelation where God has spoken in some way. This type of communication from God 
includes specific words. There are first the oral prophecies that God gave to his prophets or the situations when God specifically spoke out loud. We have several times where God did speak loud and and people heard him, but most often it was through the prophets themselves as they spoke God's message to mankind, particularly to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. An example of God speaking out loud would be at Jesus' baptism where When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water and God said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God spoke in a way that people could hear. These oral communications to people were sometimes written down then and thus have been become a part of what we call scripture. They are the verbal communications that were not originally communicated orally, but were written down first, such as Paul's letters, his epistles. Though he may have spoken to people at times, he sat down and wrote these letters, and those were the written forms. These uh, written form of the scriptures of the, the Bible come to us through the apostles and prophets. Over and over again, they spoke to mankind. God spoke through men and women, and we call these the prophets. A prophet is one who speaks for God. He has received God's message and is communicating it to others. The apostles also were considered prophets, those who spoke God's message for him. And the scriptures then are the written form of God's communication to mankind. This is what we call the Bible. The Hebrews called it the their Bible, the scriptures. And so sometimes we refer to it as in the same way. These are the written documents that have come to mankind through the prophets and apostles. And so these are the form of revelation that we're most concerned with in this study is this written form, the scriptures of the Bible that has been passed down to us. So this is how we understand revelation. Again, God has revealed himself to us in some form or fashion. God reveals himself to humans through creation, through Jesus Christ, through the written word, the Bible. These three bear witness to God's existence, his nature, his character, his works, and his salvation for mankind. Believers in Jesus Christ must observe the world around them and be mindful of how God has revealed himself through nature and the universe. Science is a wonderful thing to study. We should be studying science and learning and understanding how God has revealed himself. doesn't mean we have to believe in, in evolution, but we can study science. There are many wonderful Brilliant scientists who don't believe in evolution and can study the world around us and see what God has created. Believers must also be careful to read and study the Word of God because it reveals God's true nature and reveals how we can live lives of meaning and purpose. This is what we understand to be the authority of the Bible. And we want to lay this foundation. Now, there's a few other things I want to cover in the authority of the Bible, which we will cover in the next session, which deals with uh, inspiration, inerrancy, and illumination. And we'll cover those in the next session to finish out this section on the authority of the Bible. But take heart, we will get into some of the more technical things as we proceed through this particular series. I hope and pray that this is going to be beneficial to you. It will help you to better understand the Bible, understand why we believe in the Bible, and encourage you to have that confidence to read and study it for yourself. So let's close our session in prayer. Father, we thank you 
that you have given us your word. You revealed yourself to us in many ways and through the prophets, through the Old Testament, through your spoken word, through your written word, and through your Holy Spirit now that dwells within us. And I pray that as we go through this particular series of studies, that each person will gain some understanding that will help them better understand your word, to have greater confidence in the Bible, so that you may speak to them through the word of God to bring change into their lives, because we know that the Bible was actually written to change our lives, to give us truth about you, to be applied in our hearts and lives, not just to know the information, but to use it in such a way that it brings change into our heart and our lives. And I pray that as we gain this greater confidence in your word, that we truly will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name I pray. Amen.